0: Okay. Alright, we're in Romans chapter 6. Um, let's do a little, little background and context because uh, what, we, what began in verses 1 through 2 is going to continue now all the way through verse... Well, in fact, through the rest of the chapter 6. Um, if you remember the, the the gospel that Paul preached, or the message that Paul gave them in chapter five, well, actually, really, I guess you could go back to chapter three, verse twenty-one through chapter five. Was this was was the message of grace alone, and and that that although our sin is great, grace is so much greater. Grace where sin abound, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And in in chapter 6, verse 1, Paul addresses an objection that someone either did raise or potentially could raise or misunderstand his message. And he said, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And we talked about the many forms that that takes. So really, from beginning in verse 2, all the way through the end of chapter 6, he's still dealing with that question. And we have to keep that in mind. This is not... Paul did not write letters, the, the 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 apostles did not write letters just to give random doctrine. Uh, all, all that they taught flowed out of, of very specific incidences and needs that arose within the churches. So we have to keep that in mind. Are we to continue in grace, or are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, in chapter 2, verse 1, he gives the short answer, which was what? No. <laughs> Forbid. No. We shouldn't. But beginning in chapter two, ver, or chapter <laughs> verse two, the second part of verse two, he now will tell them and, and, and elaborate on why this is so unthinkable. Uh, this is an expanded answer. So again, he's explaining why why verse one b is not true, and in in the process of doing that, he reveals some very important benefits of being in union with Christ and in this whole chapter we're think we're, we've been thinking and talking about the basic Christian life if we do not grasp the message in chapter in verses 3 through 10 we will never fully grasp what it what it means to live a Christian life. This is absolutely core. This is absolutely key to our Christian life. To grasp what he's saying here is an absolute necessity to understand what it means to live a Christian life. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to just read through all the verses and then we'll come back and take a look at them. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. If, 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 as, you, as I read through that, hopefully you picked up on, on, a, on several words that were repeated a lot. The first one is Christ. Christ is repeated over and over again. So, verses 3-10, through 10, what's going to be crucial in this passage is Christ. But there's, a, there's also a personal pronoun in there, a plural pronoun that was repeated over and over and over again. And what was it? We, we and Christ. So, just, if we just did that, if all we did was look at re- those things that were repeated, we can kind of get an idea of what these verses are about. These verses are about Christ, to be sure, but not just about Christ. This is not a passage just on Christology. This is a, this is a passage that somehow will connect or associate Christ with we, or us, the Christian. Okay? So, what does he say? First of all, by answering this question of should we just continue to sin that grace may abound, he says absolutely no, uh, absolutely forbid, forbid the thought uh, because by virtue of our union with Christ, we, have, we now have a new life. We now live a new life. Look with me again at verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus we're baptized into His death. Now the question is, what does it mean to be baptized into His death? Now, I don't want to go into great detail. We've already talked when we talked about baptism. We talked a lot about this, but but, but the, the options on when it says baptized, there are three options. One is water baptism. That as we talked about baptismal regeneration, as we talked about how some view baptism, um, that that is one option. That this is water baptism. That. United us with Him. The second option is water baptism, but this position would say, "Well, it's not really just it's not the baptism itself, but it's what the baptism represents is what uh, is what united us to Christ, or as He says, what we were baptized into Christ Jesus and into His death." The third option is that this is spiritual. So, which one is it? Um, again, I know that this is a debate within the evangelical church, but I think that one and two are ruled out two is ruled out because the text doesn't say it's what the water represents. It just doesn't say that it It says water. So it has to, it seems like it has to be one or three. Um, and. I rule out water baptism for a number of reasons. Number one, it's it's hard to know how water can effectuate a spiritual change. But number two, this is not water baptism language. Look again with me. It says, those of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus. What's water baptism language? Anybody know Matthew 28, 18 to 20? Actually, I think it would probably be 19 and 20. Go... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of Jesus Christ, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We get you, If you remember, we went through Acts. Every single, in every single instance where baptism was mentioned, it says they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. We don't see any of this into Christ language when, when, it, when we know it was dealing with water baptism. Uh, if you look at First Corinthians, turn to First Corinthians 10. Let me show you where we do see this language as it relates to baptism. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 2, or verse 1. We'll start in 1. First 1 Corinthians 10:1. I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. He's talking about the Exodus. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food. Now, what does it mean when they were baptized into Moses? Uh, It meant they were identified with Moses. There was a solidarity with Moses. So, uh, as went Moses, as went them. So we see, we see that this kind of language, in fact, uh, might as well just go to chapter 12, verse 13. So, into, to be baptized into something had this notion of, uh, of identification, of solidarity. Um, in First Corinthians 12, verse 13... For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Again, here's this into language again. It's not in the name of Jesus, but into one body. This is a spiritual baptism. We were, we were spiritually baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. It, it is, again, it is identification. It's, it's ownership. It's um It's representation. So, when we go back to Romans chapter 6, this is again exactly the language that we see here. Keep my marker here. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So, what does it mean to be baptized into his death? If we we accept this notion that being baptized into had a sense of, uh, of identification and, and solidarity, what would that mean? That means that, it, that in a very real way, when he died, we died. In fact, isn't that what he said in verse 1? Or verse 2? How can we who died to sin? Now, l- 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 let me stop here. He's not telling you to die to sin. He's not saying, okay, stop sinning. He's telling us something that is true of us. Because because of Christ's death, by by our conversion, we are baptized into His death. His death becomes our death. Verse 4 begins with, Therefore, therefore, not only did His death become ours, but he says in verse four, we were buried with him by baptism into death. So he says, not only were we, not only were we, di- did we die with him, but we were what, buried with him. And you can look at look at the look at the verbal tense in chapter in verse four. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism. He's not saying that bury yourself. There's no action here being required. He's not telling us to do anything. He's explaining to us what is true of us because of our union with Christ. We not only died with Him, but we were buried with Him. Again, look at verse 4. We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that... What's, what does that mean? Purpose. For the purpose of what? In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, here's what's interesting. He's drawing this parallel. What would you have expected Paul to say when he said, just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too... What would you expect him to say? We too would be raised from the dead. But what does he say? He says, we too will walk in newness of life. Notice that relationship. So that as... Christ, we too. Again, he keeps emphasizing this union between us and Christ. And he says, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, with Him, might walk in newness of life. Now, what's newness of life? What do we call that? That's a genitive. Grammatically. X of Y. What does it mean, newness of life? Newness of life. Is it, is it the newness that life brings? Uh, or is it, is it life that newness brings? Um, I, I take this, there is a category, it's called adjectival genitive. In other words, this is a descriptive it's describing. It's describing the kind of life that we now have. And I, I think the NIV does it as well. It says new life. He, we, were, we were in our union to Christ, we now live a new life newness of life everything is new so why should we not continue in sin that grace may abound because we're new we, we, we walk in a new life now 2nd um, Corinthians 5.17 Paul states it a little differently in, in his letter to the church in Corinth 5.17 he says therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation The old has passed away, behold the new has come. Now what's the old that he says has passed away? What's your old that was passed away, that that died? Something old died. Your old unregenerate self died. And it died not because you wanted it to die, but because of union with Christ. When we place our faith and trust, His death becomes our death. Our old self dies, and what becomes new? A new self. Death to the old, so that the new comes. Um, Turn over a couple books to Ephesians, chapter 2. Verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, Now, what was the nature of that death? We were still walking around. Well, our death was our union with Adam. We had died in Adam. When we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together, what? With Christ. Union with Christ. He made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. Now listen to this, verse 6. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places. Does that say He will raise us up? We're already raised. We're already seated with Him in heavenly places. How can that be? Because He's talking about our position. He's talking about our current position, our current relationship with Christ. He's not saying this is what you should do in order to be raised. He's saying this is something God did not only were you buried in Him and buried with Him, not only were you, uh, were you, did you die in Him, but Paul, but Paul says in Ephesians, you were raised with Him and you are, we are now seated with Him in the heavenly places. And obviously, that has not literally occurred yet, but that is our position. He says that it's unthinkable to continue in sin because we're new people. Because of our union with Christ, our union with His death and His burial and His resurrection, all those things are ours already. And all those things created newness of life, a new life. You see, perish the thought that we'd ever continue in sin when we have this unbelievable truth of being new in Christ. Death benefit, number one. Death benefit, number two. By virtue of our union with Christ, we have been freed from slavery to sin. We have been... I use that that verb intentionally because the Bible uses it. We have been freed from slavery to sin. Look with me at verse 6. I'm sorry, verse 5. For we have been united with Him in a death like His. We shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. In these verses he gives us three statements that talk about and that relate to us that we have been freed from slavery to sin. And it's by virtue of our union with Christ. He's not telling us to do anything. He's not telling us to stop doing anything. He's simply telling us what's already true of us. Look again at verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with Him. And our old self, we just talked about that. Our old self was that old, our old unregenerate, who we were in our unregenerate state. That was crucified with him. I hope you're seeing over and over again with him, with him, with him, in him, in him. This is by virtue of our union with him. He says, our old self, our old regenerate self, died. And when did our when does our old regenerate self die? When we believe. Upon justification, our old, unregenerate self is crucified, dead, and buried with Christ, in Christ. He says, we're, sl- we're free from the slavery to sin because our old self had died. When I was, when I was growing up, I know this is, uh, this is politically incorrect now, but we used to play war and army. Yeah, we yeah, did Cowboys and Indians too, Neil. G.I. Joe, yeah. But we, we had like fake guns. Can you imagine this today? We're running around the neighborhood and we had war. And we had these, obviously they're, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have to say they're fake, I guess. but um, <laughs> So, um, and what would happen is you'd shoot somebody and if you shot, you know, it's kind of an honor system. If you shot somebody first, they were dead. And they were out of the game until you started a new game. That's the way it was supposed to go. But inevitably, here's what would happen. You know it's coming. One of two things. You'd, you'd shoot him and he'd say, you missed. Or, or you'd shoot him. Uh, and, you know, it was obvious he was dead. And then a couple minutes later, you're playing and you see him out there shooting again. And you would say, what's the deal? You, I already shot you, you're dead. And you know what he they, they would say? We would say, I'd say, I'm a different guy now. I'm a new guy. No, you were dead. No, I'm a new guy. That was the old guy. Um, if only wars could really work that way. Pain are much more effective. Yeah, paintballs. <laughs> yeah, paintballs. <laughs> yeah. But I remember we used to do that all the time. No, I'm a new guy now. It's that, that, that wasn't me. That was the old guy. And that's the sense of it. Um, Our old self has died, um, and our new self... Again, turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is a completed action, it's a done deal. And he doesn't say, I've been crucified. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. Christ my crucifixion was in union with Christ it is no longer I who live because why I died but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh in this body I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me by virtue of union with Christ, we've been freed from slavery to sin because we've died to it. Number two, in Romans chapter six, he says, "We that are we know that our old self was crucified with him, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing." What's a body of sin? Is it a physical? Is it, is it, some people say that it's the, it's our physical body of sin. Again, this is, this is a genitive. It's describing a relationship between these two words, between body and sin. And I simply say that the body of sin has been dethroned. Um, when we say, um, before you judge an artist, you need to look at his whole body of work. What do we mean by that? His, por- his whole body, body of work. It's, it's just some of it. All of it. Yeah, his whole, his whole it, 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 this, this, this phrase body of means the sum total or, or the total output. Um, in other words, the body of evidence, the, 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 the jury considered the entire body of evidence. They weren't talking about a physical body. They meant the sum total of all of the evidence. So, so I think that, that this, is, this is what we would call a descriptive geni- genitive. It is a, it is a body, first of all, that's characterized by sin, but it's not a physical body. It, it is talking about a dominating, controlling influence. That total, uh, comprehensive, uh, dominating influence of sin, he says, might be done away with. In fact, this is a word that, is, that I think the New American Standard has abolished or, or uh, it, in other places it has abolished, might be brought to nothing. It, this is a, a side note. It, it Turn to Ephesians chapter 2 again. And he's talking about our relationship to the law. Verse 14, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility this is between Jew and Gentile by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create himself one new man in place of the two the same verb abolish Uh, what does it mean to abolish? it means to render powerless to render inoperative he he didn't destroy the law Um, he rendered it powerless he rendered it inoperative. This is the same word used here. He's saying that, uh, that our, by our virtue of our union with Christ, our being crucified with him, that the body of sin might be dethroned. In other words, that it would that, that the sum total, the influence of sin, the domination of sin in our lives, that, that controlling, dominating influence would be rendered powerless. That's what's true of us. That's not something we do. He's not some, he doesn't say, I want you to render sin. He's asking us to do nothing at this point. He's just simply telling us what's true of us. That the body of sin has been rendered powerless and inoperative in our lives. Number three, verse six again. We know that our old self is crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that... So what's the purpose for all of that? So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. I see a lot of we's in here. Who is he talking about? Us. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. He's telling us that our the bondage to sin has been broken. We are no longer slaves to sin. Sin is no longer our master, and he's going to pick this up later on uh, back uh, down in fourteen, for sin shall have no dominion over you since you're not under law but under grace. By virtue of union with Christ, we've been freed from the the dominating influence and power of sin. The bondage to sin has been broken. We are no longer slaves. Sin is no longer our master. In fact, look at again in verse seven. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Has been is a perfect passive, perfect tense, is the most marked tense in Greek. The one that that has the most. Uh, um, significance it means an, an event that occurred in the past that has current and continue that is a current and continuing state of affairs you have been set free from sin now here's what you might want to ask well why do i still sin remember this is talking about not our practice but our what our position We have been set free from the bondage to sin. He doesn't say we've been set free from the presence of sin. He doesn't say we've been set free from the practice of sin. We still still practice sin. But what is already true of us is that our slavery, our relationship to sin is... Dramatically changed. We are no longer slaves to sin. So, this is what this means. It means that for the believer, we no longer sin because we have to, we sin because we choose to. Before you come to know Christ, you can't tell someone to clean up their life. They haven't died to sin, sin is still their master. But once we have died and been set free from the slavery to sin, we no longer sin out of compulsion. We no longer sin out of nature. We no longer sin out of the dominating power of sin. But now we sin by choice. And then that's part of sanctification now. One One of the most radical things that I've reminded myself of is I don't have to sin. I can choose not to sin. Now, do I always? Careful, Jasmine. We can choose not to sin. Sin is no longer our master. By virtue of our union with Christ, we have been freed from slavery to sin. I want you to ponder that. We are free from the dominating power of sin in our lives and I know you say well I don't feel that sometimes I feel like sin is dominating me Uh, this has nothing to do with our feelings this has everything to do with our position and what is already true of us because of our union with Christ not because of anything we did number three by virtue of our union with Christ we have a sure and certain future Look at me at verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, now that, that's not, he's not saying might or might not have. This is more of a concessive. Is Since we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. Future tense. We will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also... We'll stop there. Verse 11... Or chapter, why do I keep saying... Verse 11a now tells us that although chapter, although verses 9 and 10 are talking just about Christ, verse 11a says what? So you also must consider. So He's tying us to verses 9 through 10. And what do 8, 9, and 10 tell us? It tells us, number one, we shall live with Him. This is future tense. It is obviously talking about life now. And we'll look at that in a minute. But He's talking about we, just as... Christ rose again and lives a new life. We will live a new life. That's what he talked about in, in verses three through five. But now he's saying, "We will live with Him. We shall live with him." Uh, again, Second Corinthians chapter four. Second Corinthians 4:14. 4, Thirteen. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Now notice the difference in verbs here. He doesn't say that you've already been raised he's not talking about our current, current position he's talking about something that, that's going to happen to us in the future, namely that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus. We've just in Romans he says we've already been raised and 2 Corinthians says we will be raised." so how do we make, how do we make sense out of that? Well we make sense out of it because we will experience our position. <laughs> We will one day literally be raised, and we will become who we are. Does that make sense? We will experience our position. So it's like all this stuff is no. It's maybe I, I maybe I, I'm starting to talk about finances now, and I'm out of my lane. Is it maybe it's kind of like an escrow? <laughs> That, that, that we are raised now, but but he also says that there will be a day when we will we will experience that resurrection. That resurrection truth that we live in right now, we will one day experience. He says that we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. So what does that say to me? By virtue of my union with Him, verse 11a, Tells me that. We know that I will never have to die again. Death no longer has dominion over me. You see, nine and ten kind of elaborate and explain verse eight, because verse nine begins with a with an English Standard Version doesn't bring it out, but it begins with a with a participle, knowing. Knowing that Christ has been raised. So he says, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. Because we know, I take that participle to be causal. Because we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again, death no longer has dominion over Him. Now here's what I want you to draw attention to. Look at me again at verse 10. For the death He died, He died to Sin. In what sense would Jesus die to sin? Well, let's rule out what it can't be. Unto sin? So what, what, would you, what, what can't that mean, Dan? It can't mean that He has sin. He doesn't die to sin the same way we did, because when we say we died to sin, it was like at one point sin was our master. So it can't be to die unto or die to sin when Jesus died to sin. It doesn't mean that, obviously, that He no longer... There was a time when He did sin and now He doesn't sin anymore. Or that there was a position where He was sinful and now positionally He's not sinful. We know it's not that. What does it mean for Jesus that Jesus died to sin? It can't be that He died to the presence of sin. So what, what might it be? Um, I read the New Living Translation and, and, and I, I, this, is, this is intriguing they translate it as to break the power of sin he died to sin in the sense that he broke the power of sin in our lives to break the power of sin it could be to pay for sin he died to sin to, to pay for sin It's difficult to know for sure. We know what it can't mean. But again, this is stated of Christ, but we're included. He says that not only did he die to sin, but he now, again, verse 10, he lives to God. You mean he didn't live to God before he was crucified? What does that mean? He lives to God. What do you think? Didn't didn't Jesus, by virtue of being the Son of God and the second person of the Trinity, didn't He always live to God? Have you ever read these things? Have you ever read things like this in the Bible and stop and say, what does that really mean? I'm going to encourage you to start doing that. What does this really mean? Don't just read over it. What does that mean? As I've often said, sometimes we, we may not be able to know exactly what it means. We, could, we, we are doing good if we just determine what it can't mean. I, I take it this way that he now lives to honor, to please, um, to follow God, the Father. Not that he didn't do it before. But now that he has died, now that he died, and now it is all the Father, all right, maybe you could come up with something better. But, but, but because of our union with Christ, we are no longer we are no longer slaves to sin. We are now slaves to God. And he's going to work that out in the second part of this chapter. We are now live we now live to please him, not live to please ourselves. So what's the response? He does say you have to you have to respond to this. Look at the verse eleven. So you also must what? Work hard at killing yourself. At crucifying, you, must, you have to go crucify yourself now. You have to go you know, make a full commitment now. You need to do all these things to... Now, what does he say? What's our application? What does it say? What does it say? Believe it. Consider. Reckon. Believe it to be true. Now, isn't that something for an application? He's saying, I've just told you what is already true of you. Now you need to believe it. That's it. Nothing for you to do. Nothing for you to stop doing. This is just pure truth about your position in Christ. Now all I'm asking you to do is believe it. Let's look again. So you also must consider yourselves... Dead to sin and alive to God. And if I were... I think verse 11 clearly tells us what the theme of verses 1-10 through are. And that is that what? We're dead to sin. We're alive to God. Now believe it. And it's in the present tense. You have to habitually and continually remind yourselves of what's true about your position. We will never... We will never live a sanctified life to the extent that we should if we don't grasp first and foremost. Before we start talking about do's and don'ts and what you're supposed to do and what you shouldn't be doing. He says you need to get settled in your heart and mind what is already true of you and really truly believe it and count it to be true. He reckoned... What, is, what, is this? what does Genesis 12 say? Abraham believed. believed God and it was reckoned to him. Same, same word. Acqu- yeah. Our minds occupy a lot of things. And part of our sanctification, the most crucial part of our sanctification, is not, oh, I need, to, I need to pray more, I need to read my Bible more, I need to do this more, I need to do this more. The first most important step, ongoing step, that we have to do is we have to remember these truths. That, that, that by virtue of our union with Christ, we, we, have a, we are now in a new life. We have a new life. It's unthinkable to say, oh, I'm just going to keep sinning. We are no longer slaves to sin. We now sin. You can choose not to sin. You can say, no, I'm not going to think that. No, I'm not going to say that. No, I'm not going to do that. We can choose not to sin because sin is no longer our master. And because of the fact that we have a sure and certain union with Christ... One day, what now is just positional will become actual. It's already true. Verse 2 is still in view. He's still answering, Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? Paul's answer is no. And it's no because of our union with Christ. We now have a new life. The bondage to that sin has been broken. We have a we have a glorious, sure future. This is true of us now, whether we believe it or not. It is true. And in verse 11, he says, "This is a fact. Count on it." So, another another title I may have given this is the the, the broken dominion of sin. Our position. Now, beginning in verse 12, next week to the rest of the chapter, we'll say, well, we're also going to look at the broken dominion of sin. But now he's going to talk about our practice, and and we see this in Paul, don't we? Even within his books, in Ephesians, what does he? Let's use that example. What does he do first? He gives us doctrine. He gives us that this is what's true, and now based upon what's true, now practice it. Even how he organizes his letters are that way. But in this in this chapter, he does that. He says, before we talk about practice, your practice, we need to get clear on our position. And by virtue of our union with Christ, we're a, we're a new creation. Slavery, slavery to sin has been broken. And one day, we will actually experience... These positional truths. Let's pray. Father, this is, uh, sometimes it's hard for us to think of, uh, in, in our culture especially, uh, to say we, we just need to believe something is true. Um, there, there's no, you, you didn't give us a formula, you didn't give us um, anything else other than just continually, habitually, continually remind yourself of these truths. Consider them as done. They're true. And Lord, just as we, um, we um, don't hesitate to say other things are true, there's a lot of things in our lives that, that we say are true and we don't ever question. This, uh, th- this is crucial. This is vital to the very heart of sanctification, of our growing in holiness is first and foremost understanding and believing to be true what you've said is true about us right now. And and, and Father, I look at my life and I think, how can that possibly be true? I fall so far short. But Lord, this is not talking about my practice. It's talking about my position. And I thank you for Christ who is willing to, and you were willing to allow me and to enable me to join and to be in union with Christ through forgiving me of my sin, that I my sin was, my old self was crucified with Him, was buried with Him, and was raised with Him. And no longer have to sin. I'm no longer in bondage to sin. So, Father, as we as we continue to move through this chapter, I pray that we would always keep our position in mind. That it's not it's, even our sanctification is not by works, Father. It's based on our blessed position in Christ. We thank you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you please stand.